0: Again, that's 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they should be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is good uh, to be back from a great mission trip. And we're thankful for the good that was done. And we'll look forward to hearing a a good report about that in the future. But we are thankful for the 20 souls that seven responded uh, to restorations and and 13 to baptisms and continue to be praying for them and and that work there. And we're thankful for each one in this congregation that supported and prayed and sent and uh, was so vital to that work. Uh, As we think about reaching the world... Uh, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have from right here every week to literally send the message of Jesus Christ run the world. We have CDs and DVDs that's mailed out every week. And now, as most of you would know, we have live streaming that takes place that uh, on an average uh, right now, and this is without pushing it outside of these walls uh, so far as letting it be known, uh, but 25 individuals on average watch every week now. And uh, whenever we can get Uh, this uh, smooth and all the problems worked out as it's still relatively new. Uh, We hope to be able to push this and what maybe 30 or 40 years ago when you thought of of a church having a television program, we want to have that mindset with this live streaming that hopefully in a few years there would be hundreds if not thousands that would watch this each Sunday. Now, in order to be able to reach those souls, we have to have individuals that would be able to run the equipment that is in the pit both services Sunday morning, Bible class, Sunday evening, and on Wednesday evening. That's five times a week that we need several men working. If you are able to help on a rotation with the equipment upstairs, you don't have to have experience, you can be trained. Almost all of them were. And uh, very few of them came in with any kind of, of skills already in hand with that particular equipment. And there's going to be a meeting today at 5 o'clock. And you are needed. If you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe somebody will go. No, you are needed. We need you to be able to make this successful. Also, for each one of those services, what would be just wonderful if there was a technical person at each one of those. And so if you're gifted in the area of IT... If that's something you love, uh, we need five of you guys that would step up and become a part of a regular rotation in that. And so uh, if the pit, you enter it just right outside these doors and the foyer there, if you'll come into the foyer at 5 o'clock, that door will be open and and there will be training sessions and and you'll receive whatever knowledge that you need for that to be successful. But please, please, please uh, be a part of that if you have the ability. Also, we are so thankful uh, to Philip, For the tremendous job that he did preaching last Sunday. It is wonderful to be a part of a team that is so talented. I appreciate uh, Trey and and all that he does. You read his bulletin that he published this week and you noticed in there, he said, that guy can preach. And we're blessed uh, that, that Philip is such a talented preacher. He and Laura are talented in a lot of ways and we're thankful that preaching is one of his talents. Immersed, to plunge, to to fully encompass, surround ourselves with a study of Scripture. That's what we want our life to be, but we're going to use this month to remind us... That we need to be about that. Tonight, during the time of the sermon, we'll have a few extra Bible readings to to bring emphasis to the reading of the Word of God. Next Sunday morning, uh, our service will incorporate all throughout the service many Bible readings to bring emphasis to the reading of the Word of God. I want to encourage you, if you've kind of fallen out of the habit of the daily Bible readings that you entered into earlier this year, now's a good time to just pick up where we are in the book of Acts and let's continue reading along. We want to be individuals that always in our life were immersed into Christ. Several years ago, N.B. Hardiman preached a sermon at the Tabernacle Services that meeting took place in the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. And thousands gathered for 15 or 20 sermons. And there was one particular sermon that he preached that it actually was a sermon that he borrowed from J.W. McGarvey. And in this sermon, he discussed the difference in truth and lies. And he made a statement that upon looking at it, you realize times aren't any different today in that realm. And I guess ever since Adam and Eve, times haven't really been that much different in this particular area of thought. He said this, if a man believes something to be right, honestly follows out his convictions and his sincere purposes along that line, such a platform will land him safely home in glory. Now, placing that in the context of the introduction of his sermon, he stated that as to say what much of the religious world of his day and time believed. And isn't it sad but interesting that that's what much of the religious world in our day and time believes also? Number one is a person honest. Number two... Are they sincere in their honesty? Are they convicted? Are they going to stay with what they believe? And if they are honest and if they are sincere, God will have to save them. You can't argue with them whether or not someone in that situation is doing the right thing or the wrong thing because they're honest. They're convicted in what they do. And if you can't argue with them, how could God argue with them? They're going to have to be saved. God will just have to save them. They're a good person. And God saves good person, people, right? Isn't that in there somewhere? That's just it. Today, are you converted to that line of thinking that if I'm honest and if I'm sincere, I'm on God's side? I hope today we can accomplish this, but if not, throughout this month, we can definitely accomplish this. We have to love the truth. And it's the truth that we must deal with honestly. And it is the truth that we must be sincere about. And it is the truth of God's Word that teaches us how we may be saved. But isn't it interesting that those very same people that will go back and and depend upon sincerity or honesty won't do that in any other area of thinking. That same individual that says that and is also a banker, someone comes into his office on Monday morning and, and they have an overdraft check. And they explain how it was an honest mistake, and they open the checkbook and show the mistake in the register. And look, I'm an honest person. This is I'm sincere, and this was an honest mistake. And look, I know that that I've just overdrawn for $500, but since you understand that I'm honest and sincere, it doesn't matter, right? Oh, sure, the bank's just gonna put $500 in there because you're honest and sincere. Doesn't matter at all. <laughs> Nobody believes that Titanic. There are really people that honestly believed that it couldn't sink. They were sincere when they plunged through ice-filled waters, but it didn't change the end. It didn't change the truth. This may seem like a strange illustration, but stay with me for just a moment. When we think about sanitation... It's interesting to really study that because it has so much to do with our livelihood. When we go back 7,000 years ago, the Babylonians were starting to figure out what God had already given the children of Israel because you see, God gave the children of Israel laws that dealt with sanitation, but they didn't even understand germs at that time and so they didn't understand why He was telling them if you go to the bathroom, you leave the camp and you take a shovel with you and you cover up The waste and you go back inside the camp. Maybe there's something about that to you and I that makes sense, seems civil. They didn't understand why God was asking them to do that. They just had to decide, am I going to obey God or am I not? Many civilizations around them didn't dream of doing things like that. And the Babylonians come along and they start to figure out there may be something connected to the disease and the people dying and the water being contaminated. And so they began to make progress that by the time we come to the Roman civilization, Rome was really figuring it out. They went with sophisticated systems to bring fresh water into their aqueducts and they even began to enclose their sewer system and get the water out of the midst of the people or the waste out of the midst of the people. They even promoted personal hygiene. They did some things that previous civilizations just had never dreamt of And it proved to be a great success to their health. This comes to tonight's lesson. But when the Roman Empire fell, most of that knowledge was wiped out. And so as a human race, we went kind of back to the beginning again. That's what happens when people lose knowledge. Tonight, we're going to have several readings that are going to show us what happens when people lose knowledge of God. And so the medieval period went back to trash all along streets. Open sewer systems, all through, or without systems, just open open sewage drains throughout streets. You might find this hard to believe unless you've done any kind of research or know history this well. In the 1800s, the 1800s, New York City, streets, regularly were filled with garbage people took their garbage to outside their door and dumped it and nobody picked it up there was no service to pick it up they left heaps of garbage outside their house regularly new york city in 1800 had open ditches of sewer flowing through the streets new york city had no fresh water Contaminated water everywhere. Even personal hygiene was not promoted or practiced to much of a degree. The average lifespan in New York City in the 1800s was 40 years old. Not even quite 40, the upper 30s. The infant mortality rate was very, very high, almost 50%. And along came... Some individuals that said we need to create a, de- a department and we need to regulate what can and cannot be done with waste and with germs and with disease that all- that's being affected by all of this because epidemics and plagues have become an annual event in New York City. In a short amount of time, they brought in fresh water that created a sewer system, that created garbage disposal routes. And it wasn't that long until the average age, lifespan of someone in New York City was 74 years old. Now, why did I take the time to tell you that? you look at this next slide, I want you to get this pictured in your mind. I want you to see that top left box there. The environment of contamination. They literally were living in a life that was an environment was contaminated. What happens to individuals that live in contaminated envir- environments? We see that, that it was leading, the results was a lot of sickness. The result was a lot of death. We see that how it affected the people individually. It affected their mindset. In other words, you can imagine that the average New Yorker in the early 1800s, they probably kind of liked the idea of having garbage disposal so close. You don't have to worry about bagging anything. You don't have to worry about what day of the week you put it out there. You don't have to worry about anything. Isn't that nice? You don't have to love, accept, appreciate Any kind of cleansing. And so what happened was, let's allow the waste everywhere. Let's enjoy the freedom that we have to dispose as we wish. But what did it do? It literally was destroying a city. The text that has been capably read for us this morning, I'd like for you to notice in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter along this same line of this model of thought. What made me first think about the environment when I was reading this is you notice there in verse 10, it says in verse 10, and, and by the way, to have this models up here, I can not also have the scriptures on the screen at the same time, so if you want to get your Bible out of your pew, it's 1,051, 1,051, or you may want to open yours back up and just for the next few minutes, let's just kind of work through this model here and we're going to see that there's two environments that Paul gives us here. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, look at verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, pause there for a moment. In other words, Paul says, look, here is a group of people, those who perish. Here is a, let's just call it a little civilization here. Here's a little civilization. Here's a group of people. And who are these people? Paul says, these are the people right here that perish. What do they live among? That's his word. What do they live among? What is the environment of these people who perish? And he says, their environment is unrighteous deception well what happens in that kind of unrighteous deception when we continue to read here in verse 10 toward the end he said that they perish or towards the middle he says they perish and toward the beginning of verse 12 he's speaking about them that he says that they all may be condemned so do you have that in your mind Someone wants to live in unrighteous deception. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? Unrighteousness, deception. Deception's always unrighteous. Unrighteousness is always filled with deception because if Satan didn't feel unrighteous with deception, we wouldn't stay in it. If we saw unrighteousness for what it really was, every one of us would walk away from it. But Satan fills it with lies so that we'll stay in it. And someone says, You wouldn't stay in it if it was killing you. Sure. People stayed in New York City and it was killing them. How do we avoid that kind of deception? Well, there's another environment that we can live in. Uh, We haven't had this as a part of our text yet this morning. Let's introduce verse 13 and 14 as part of the text and notice the second environment. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions to which... You were taught, whether by word or by epistle, these that he's writing to, apostles actually came and taught them to their face. He wrote other letters down and he's saying, whether we taught it to you by your face, whether you receive this, hold fast to this. Why? Because these individuals had left in an environment that was deadly and these individuals had stepped into another environment. What was this environment? It was an environment that believes the truth. Now notice, this environment is not I am a sincere person. I deal honestly with my convictions. That isn't what saves. If that is what is saved, we could all become our own God and say whatever you honestly believe, whatever you are honestly convicted to, you be your own God and save yourself. What creates a different environment? Here, when he talks about the result of being saved, the result of salvation, it was by those who believe the truth. Now let's go back and let's see the description of the day-to-day life of individuals in each of these. Drop back again and let's notice verse 10, 11, and 12 as we fill in that first bubble to the left of this environment that is deadly. Notice in verse 10, the first thing that we're going to see about this environment of those that's deadly is we're going to see that it is those who do not receive, verse 10, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So someone says, hmm, they didn't receive the truth. No, no. Deal honestly with the text. He didn't say that. What did he say they didn't receive? They didn't receive a love for the truth. Brethren, we're never going to stay faithful to God if we don't love Him and His Word. It's not, well, I go to church. Well, I read my Bible from time to time. Well, I'm, I'm a good person. What God wants to know is, first and greatest commandment, do you love Him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Right now, I could name a few Foods that I eat that I don't really love. And when that dish is passed to me, I might take one spoon. Do you have any dishes like that? Just one spoon. And then somebody passes you your favorite dish that you love. And you get more of that, don't you? And when you go back for seconds, that's the one you go back for seconds. Friends, how do you feel about the truth Is the truth something that you just tolerate from time to time? Well, I I go and I I just listen to the preacher and that's what they teach there and I tolerate it. I don't fight it. I don't fight it. Well, yes, I know the truth is good in most instances. I, I try to do that most of the time. Or do you live off the truth? Do you love the truth? Do you come back every day for another serving of the truth? When you have to make a decision in life, can you honestly say, the only thing I want to know is what is the truth. I want to know God's will because that's what I'm going to do. Let the chips fall where they may. I want to do God's will. Do we love the truth? These individuals lived in this deadly environment because they didn't love the truth. It wasn't for many of them that they'd never been introduced to it. They'd never heard it before. They didn't love the truth. And when you don't love the truth, there's only one place that that can leave any of us. We either are with the truth or we're with lies. And that's why in verse 11 he says that God sent them strong delusions. There's some people that really bothers them. The idea, you mean God's going to send someone strong delusions? Absolutely. That is a principle that he created in the very beginning. He created the principle of sowing and reaping. You put good seed in the ground and good things will result. Why? Because that's a principle that God created. You put bad seed in the ground and God will let you have a bad harvest. As a matter of fact, by God's principle from the very beginning, God will even make sure you have a bad harvest. Why? Because God's consistent, God's just. There are principles that God has put in place. And so someone seeks the truth and they love it and they give their life obeying the truth, and God says, I'll give you an environment that will save you. It'll be healthy, you'll live. You don't love the truth? God says, I've created another environment for those who do not love the truth. Those that reject truth, the only thing they have left to accept is a lie. They'll have strong delusions. Now notice, strong delusions. The idea of, I I didn't know that was wrong. We live in a world that is filled with strong delusions. Individuals that not only believe in evolution, But they strongly argue it. You say, how how could anybody strongly argue that when there's not an ounce of evidence? How how can you do that? Strong delusion. Go out to to a society today and anywhere across America where there has not been a religious fiber through the fabric of of that group of individuals or that setting and suggest to them, hey, you know, there, there ought to not be any sexual activity before marriage. <laughs> Where are you from? Man, you are old-fashioned. Now, number one, you know nobody does that today. But number two, you don't really believe that, do you? That's the craziest thing on earth. Strong delusions. Our world, they really, really, really believe the lies. And they'll stay believing those lies unless they come to the truth. The truth is a huge light bulb. The truth causes us to open our eyes and come to our senses and see things that we have never seen before. Because the truth is not just natural. It's not just a natural step in our progression. The truth is a huge movement. But while we're over here, the final thing that he says in verse 12 was he says that there is pleasure in unrighteousness. And there is. You remember Moses? He was praised even a few thousand years later by the Hebrew writer because he was le- willing to leave the palace that had the pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, there's definitely going to be some pleasure in sin, but it's all temporary. There's nothing permanent about it. Now, one reason why it is so pleasurable is because here we can make it all about us. It's all about me. What do I want? What I want to do. What I want to accomplish. What I want to involve myself in right now. Immediate gratification. And when we come over here, it's not about us anymore. And it takes a real unselfishness to cross that gap. As a matter of fact, in crossing that gap, he he will call it sanctification. Look there again, if you will, in verse 13 and 14. Especially in verse 13. Notice he ended 13 by saying through the sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in truth. So as we fill in that next bubble, notice there that within this environment there's going to be another way that individuals are going to live. And it's going to be a sanctification. Where's sanctification sanctification being set apart? And so here someone is living in an environment of death, and here we can be sanctified. We can be set apart from that where that literally is out of our life. Now we're living in a new environment, but notice we can't do it alone. It's a joint venture. We become a partner with God, sanctified by the Spirit, and God won't do it alone. In other words, He's not going to force anybody to leave one environment and go to another. It's our choice. And so we're sanctified by the Spirit, and notice this, and by believing the truth. When we believe the truth, we then begin to live a different life. And I notice he also said, in the call of the gospel, we've been called by the gospel. Today, there are a lot of things said in our religious world about being called. Somebody will walk up to you and say, I've been called to say this to you. Well, it can be iffy as to whether or not God really wants that individual to do that, but There is a calling that the Bible speaks about that's certain. And it's a calling to obey the gospel. The gospel's being given to us. And you and I are called to obey the gospel. And so he he literally says to these individuals here in verse 14, he's just talked about, and it's not the end of a sentence in 13, he's just talked about this sanctification by the Spirit, the belief of truth. And notice, then he continues and says in 14, to which he called you by our gospel. In other words, God is calling us to leave that life. God loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. God wants you to move from that deadly state more than anybody wants you to move from that deadly state. As a matter of fact, God loves you so much that to get you from this deadly state to this state of salvation, He gave His Son to die for you. And now God is on this side calling. Don't stay. Come over. How's he calling? We have a gospel that we can read all about God's calling. And when we leave this state of it's all about me, notice how he finishes verse 14. This answering the gospel's call is for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to this side so that we can give Jesus all the glory. Over here, what's in it for me? Over here, how can I be used for God? And this side, if they don't know the truth, they don't get that. Why wouldn't you make your life about you? And you know, if you don't look out for you, nobody else is. Oh, yes. There is somebody else that's going to look out for me. There's somebody else that's going to look out for you if you'll let him. He'll look out for you not only on this earth, He'll provide for you exceedingly abundantly above what you ever asked or thought. He'll even do that for an eternity. This past week in El Salvador, David Burkle, one of our elders, preached to the preachers one morning. and He offered a powerful lesson about the glory of God. And one of the things that he said was, What do you do when you see a newborn baby or you see a beautiful sunrise? Almost everybody's immediate response is, Oh, look. It's that moment of awe. And that is just a couple of small examples of God's glory. To see the power of God to see when God does things that man could never do. Those are moments of glory. He is inviting us to leave this world that is about us and come over and obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where literally our life becomes a reflection of Jesus And in a sense, we're all small fragments of of God's glory walking about so that when we go to our homes, we make our homes a little more glorious. And when we go to work, we make our workplaces a little more glorious. And in our friendships and among our neighbors and our neighborhoods, we we make our street a little more glorious place to live because you can see a glimpse of God when you watch the people that live in this environment that God has invited them to come and be a part of where they can be saved. But how do they get here? The only way that they get here is a combination of God and them. God's done His part. And you say, what's our part? And He says, do you believe the truth? I'm not asking you what you're sincere about. I'm not asking you if you're an honest person. God says, do you believe the truth? It will sanctify. It will bring you from one side to the other. And just before Jesus died, I'm sure Jesus said many prayers. The prayer that is the longest, that is recorded, is in John 17 and 17. And Jesus said these words, Sanctify them. Sanctify. Set apart. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. This morning, it really doesn't matter what you and I have always believed. It doesn't matter what the family we grew up in has always believed. It doesn't really matter how honest I've been or how sincere I've been. It doesn't matter if I believe it and say I don't see any fallacy in it. It's got to be right. What matters this morning is that I love God's Word so much. That I long for it, I love it, I learn it, and when I see any differences in God's Word in my life, it's my life I change, not God's Word. This morning, do you realize you can't be in this environment of the saved with the Lord? If you don't love, love this word. There's churches across America that met by the thousands. And you'd probably be surprised how many of them have met for over an hour and never read one scripture the entire service. Let it be that you and I would never become so disillusioned that we think we could be close to God without His Word. We leave this. We don't love this. We've left God. And we don't love God. This morning, is there any way that we could help you is there any way we could help you move closer to God? We see in His Word an invitation. Jesus said, Come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This morning, we just want to help you obey the Word. We want to help ourselves. We want to help each other. There's not anybody here perfect. There's not anybody here going to get there without God's grace. But every one of us, every one of us need to love God enough to listen to His Word. If we could assist you in being immersed into Christ or to respond and be restored. However we could help you, let us know as we stand, as we sing.